everybody, and welcome to a special live version of the Road to Infinity podcast, our companion piece podcast to the Marvel's hashtag Road to Infinity War challenge. It's where you watch a Marvel movie every week. Of course, things messed up and mixed up and everything happens, and uh, they, of course, screwed our schedule up as well. So this week you're getting two episodes. This is your second episode of the week. Uh, next week you'll get three Um just leading up to Infinity War because we want to leave Infinity War's week that it releases blank ready for people just to go see the movie. Um, so this uh, this week, two of them. And we're right here on the second one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, amazing, amazing piece. Now this one is a little bit different because technically for the bulk of the movie, this takes place in Phase 2. But by the end of the movie, you're at Phase 3 ready for Thanos. So... Um, you know, it's the only Marvel movie to take place during Phase 2, but to end up in Phase 3. So, that's neat. Um, but we're going to go ahead and, and just jump right into it. It's myself and... There's a Glenn. And let's, let's get into some of the cast trivia. We always start off with some facts about the movie, the making of, behind the scenes, casting uh, tidbits, and uh, then we go into our favorite scenes and, and the MCU connections, yada, yada, yada. Hopefully this isn't the one that you're jumping into. If it is, thank you. Please listen to our other ones. Sometimes we dig up some neat some neat facts that even our nerdiest of friends didn't know. And we didn't know until we saw it. So just a little bit on the cast trivia. Because this one, a lot of just the bulk of the, the cast you see is remaining uh, from the first movie. Except for, of course, Mantis and, and Ego being brought in. But, um... Uh, just a couple of things I didn't read off about the first movie... Uh, and that's Vin Diesel, of course, is back as Groot. Um, he did reach the high-pitched I am Groot for Baby Groot by himself without any special effects. Uh, but also, his script has lines, not I am Groot. Like, he has a Groot version of the script, uh, which tells him what he's actually saying. That was neat to, uh... To, to know they also improved Rocket's voice acting um, by using motion capture a uh, motion capture headpiece for Bradley Cooper so that they could get the facial animations correct with the lines he was delivering which gave him as an actor more freedom and the and less uh, creativity taken away from the uh, the digital animators themselves um, and uh, that was a couple of changes, of course. James Gunn uh, changed Mantis a little bit from the comic book version. I thought that she was done uh, well to the story here. Yeah. Uh, he, she was originally human, correct, Glenn? Yeah, she was uh, born in Vietnam. Yeah, we usually get in that later. I just have this in my notes because this is what James Gunn... This is a quote from James Gunn. He, he said he wanted to make her an alien because he wanted Peter Quill to be the only main character to come from Earth. Yeah. Um, do you have a list of people who were considered for the role of Ego? I'm so glad they went with Kurt Russell. I couldn't think of anyone better. But Gary Oldman, Viggo Mortensen, Christopher, Christoph Waltz, Christopher Plummer, um, Alec Baldwin, Ron Perlman, Stephen Lang, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Robert De Niro, Michael Bain, uh, Mel Gibson, and Liam Neeson were all considered for Ego, but Kurt Russell was the best. Yeah. Um... Just amazing. One woman that did not make it back to this movie from the first movie was a stunt woman for Nebula. She actually suffered traumatic brain injury and a left arm injury that led to an amputation. Um, and multiple fractures on the left side of her face required reconstructive surgery. Um, and that was on the awful movie Resident Evil Final Chapter. 
there was a misplaced camera crane and a motorcycle stunt went bad because of it. So mm. that is very unfortunate. Yep. Um, one woman who did come back to fill some seats but was cut out, actually two people. Um, uh, Captain Mal Reynolds himself was brought uh, in, Nathan Fillion, to play a superhero actor guy from, from Earth. Wonder Man. Wonder yeah. Man, that's what it was. But his scenes were cut out. They even teased it with Instagram posts. But it just never came to fruition. just didn't work in their story. Um, uh, I guess it had something to do with the Earth flashbacks. Um, but I think there was a movie poster that made it into the film. Uh, it The poster looked like uh, the Steve Jobs movie poster. Uh, okay. It was him with a profile shot i don't remember what character he was playing in the movie but you can see his name in print underneath the title simon whatever his last name was uh, but yeah that was a nod to wonder man nice uh and then uh glenn close film scenes as nova prime um uh irani rael but uh they were cut because of time constraints as well um uh, uh a couple more things about the making of the movie um just a little bitty. Some of them are dumb. Some of them are, are random. But uh, um, Kurt Russell, uh, he's uh, he does the scene with Laura Haddock. Uh, that's who plays Peter Quill's mom. And they're you know in the beginning they're running around the forest and everything and you know kissing her and then you realize okay this is this is how the Peter Quill baby is made. Um, <laughs> then it says 34 years later and you go into the present time. Well, actually, Kurt Russell was exactly 34 years older than that woman. <laughs> Uh, which, oh wow! Which which is a neat tidbit about the um, uh, about Kurt Russell in that movie that wasn't digital CG um, uh, aging effect being done to make him look younger. It was makeup. It was only makeup. He's had the same makeup artist his, almost his whole career. His makeup artist did that. Wow! And that's impressive. That makeup artist needs to do all the young makeup. He, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that makeup artist needs to be paid millions. To just be kept on staff at Marvel and Disney and and Lucasfilm and all that. He looked younger in that opening scene than he did in uh, Big Trouble in Little China or any of the Pleskin movies. Holy yeah. crap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, another one. When James Gunn was writing the script and proposed the idea of Ego the Living Planet being Star-Lord's father, Marvel told him that he they did not have the rights to Ego. Rights were with 20th Century Fox because of his ties to Fantastic Four and Survivor, uh, Silver Surfer franchises. Uh, and since Gunn did not have any other characters in mind for Star-Lord's father, he had to ask Fox themselves if he could use a character. Fortunately, Fox and Marvel came to that agreement. Marvel got Ego. Fox got more creative freedom. Uh, regarding Negasonic te Teenage Warheads superpowers in Deadpool. Yeah. So that's a neat little uh, a little trade-off there. Those, of course, we've seen other things being traded off between Fox and Marvel, and now it looks like, well, Marvel just buy out Fox. They're tired of trading. It's like the New England Patriots bought out the Washington Redskins or tried, tired of trading characters. So, you know, cool. Um, I mean, as long as the government lets it go through. Um in, uh, in addition to that, James Gunn described making Ego, Ego Star-Lord's father, which is different from the comics. Uh, he said it was a continuation of exploring the personal side of Guardians. He said, if a raccoon could talk, this is quote, if a raccoon could talk and shoot a machine gun, how could that be? Answering that question ended up being the entire foundation of the first film. There's a sadness in these characters. Rocket was an animal experimented upon and torn apart. Groot has far more in common with Frankenstein's monster than Bugs Bunny. Ego is an even more ridiculous character, but if a planet was alive, how could that be? And how could it father a child? Nova Prime said Peter's father in the first film 
that he is something ancient and unknown. And being a cosmic being alone for eons is even more lonely than being the universe's sole talking raccoon. End quote. Um, which was which was kind of neat that he said that. Um, and then one last thing, um, because this was put in the film, and I didn't catch it until it was pointed out to me. Um, when you know we find out Ego puts the tumor in Star Lord's mom's brain. Mm-hmm. Star Lord kills Ego by placing by having Groot place a bomb on his brain. Wow! And I was like, oh, didn't catch that, uh, Glenn. Differences between the comics and the uh, and the movie itself. Uh, well, there weren't too many major major differences. Um, the 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 artist uh, and creator who came up with Mantis uh, really took offense to the way Mantis was done in the movie. Um, I didn't see a big problem with it because the way they did it, it fit with the storyline in this universe. Yep. Um, I do agree with what uh, James Gunn came up with. You know, hey, we want one Earthling to be a part of this team. We don't have to have several. Um, Steve Egglehart is the man who was the co-creator for Mantis. And his quote was, you know, I really don't know why you would take a character who as distinctive as Mantis is and do completely different things to her but still call her Mantis. Well, dude, go back and watch a lot of other comic book movies because they been doing this for years um it's called taking liberties and they have the right to do it um it's like it's like he had one creation and he ignored everyone else's creation when they made it to the screen yeah pretty much um ego in the comics never took human form he was always a planet a celestial if you will yeah um uh, so you know that was a big change and we do get to see his giant cgi head Cause I, I don't think yep. that makeup towards the end. Yeah, yep. I, don't, I don't think that makeup artist is that good to make him look like a giant head. Nope. Um, Even though he has a giant head. But <laughs> um, uh, so you know that was a big change from comic to screen, and uh, of course his father in the comic, uh, Star Lord's father, his name is Jason. He's a space pirate, um, which he crash lands on Earth. Meredith finds him, and as he's fixing his ship. They fall in love, and you know how that goes. Um, so you know there was. Babies are made. <laughs> uh, so there was a little bit of change. Uh, Jason was close to. Uh, if you read the 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 run where it's his Quill's origin story is told, where his mom meets his dad, it mirrors a lot of uh, Corsair, the 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 space pirate, um, which is Scott Summers' father. So I'm glad they went the way they did because it would have made it too close to the mutiny uh, side of the Marvel Universe, and we really didn't need to get into more mutants right now. Yeah. Um, so Mutanty, not mutiny, like we're yeah. all going to revolt against Disney. Yeah. They're our overlord. We respect them. Yeah, there's like, well, we can mutiny on Warner Brothers, but yeah, we'll leave Marvel alone. Yeah. But yeah, those were some of the differences that I could find between the comics and... Um, and in the movie, Ego did appear. He's been around since 66. His first appearance was actually in uh, Thor 132, uh, which there's a lot of stuff between Ego and Thor. Uh, battles Ego a lot. Um, uh, Ego tried to, to kill Beta Ray Bill at one point, um, right. which would, would lead up to some really good stuff. Shitty uh, horse dude. 
<laughs> but yeah, so you know, Ego did a lot of stuff with the Fantastic Four in the comics and did a lot of stuff with Thor, which makes sense that they would bring him into the universe now because you know, Thor's starting to wind down. Yes. Uh, you got Fantastic Four coming soon, uh, later than sooner, but they're coming. Um, so could we see? <laughs> could we see Ego again? Possibly. Um, we don't know what the how a celestial could regenerate if they could, but unless I mean, he created Alter Ego, his uh, twin. Ah, yes, smartass. <laughs> so, Super Ego. <laughs> it's a real thing. I, I read about it I accidentally. <laughs> Alter Ego, and he was known as Super Ego at one point, oh, man. which was really weird. Uh, and then DC, you know, they had to retaliate uh, in in the 70s when they did their living planet Mogo so it's a direct contrast to more I mean if, if he doesn't have a giant face on his on the side of the planet yeah uh, but it's the same kind of concept uh did, almost identical did they base super ego off of Ben Affleck probably I feel like that's his nickname <laughs> I don't know if it won't be Batman you bitch <laughs> I think he's mean? tripolar yeah <laughs> but yeah uh, those are the just small little little tweaks that they made mantis the co-creator needs to get off his high horse she was really good i love the way that she did it and the actress is of asian descent so at least they kind of kept to the core thing yep they yep. just changed it up a bit but yep. yeah uh just want to bring up a few cast uh, members that were added to this movie whether they were big in this role or not some of them were big in this movie some of them will carry over to the next movie Sylvester Stallone brought in a Sakaar Ogord uh, uh, an original Guardian of course his team with Yondu which is the original Guardians of the Galaxy Yondu dies in this movie and Sakaar gives him the, the fireworks of eternal life or whatever <laughs> they do at the at, when people die um, Elizabeth, and of course we know who Sylvester Stallone is. We know who Slot is. I don't have to explain where he comes from. But Elizabeth Debicki, uh, who played Aisha, the golden girl, um, literally. Uh, she actually, you might have seen her in The Night Manager. Um, and some of you might have seen her on repeat from The Night Manager. Depends on who I'm talking to. Uh, <laughs> she was basically cast because of her height. Cause she's a bigger girl, but she's a good actress too. And she still had to wear heels. Yeah. They're tall people. <laughs> I mean, you gotta be tall to fit into those weird virtual reality pods. Uh, Chris Sullivan from um, what's that drama that's on TV? Someone died. Uh, this is us. Um, I was about to say this. Someone died because of a crockpot. Uh, yeah, uh, he's he's on that show. He played Taserface. Taserface. The, the most deep villain that Marvel's ever come up with. <laughs> uh, really. Great. I love James Gunn's description of Taserface. He's the dumbest son bitch. <laughs> yeah, um, Laura Haddock, of course, I mentioned earlier, coming back is it's Peter Quill's mom. Uh, she's cool because she was in Captain America: First Avenger. Uh, you know, super uber fan. So maybe Cap is his daddy, um, and you know, froze his sperm with the rest of them. Uh, and that's that's really all I got. I've got the list of people that played the original Guardians, but they didn't really have any lines. It's just kind of like set up like Vingrams and stuff, and I have the full list of that. Uh, later, when I do the connections to the MCU, because that is definitely a plot point that will be playing out in the next movie. Well, if he got closer, I'm sure he'd be much larger. If it's how eyesight works, you stupid raccoon. Don't call me a raccoon! I'm sorry. I took it too far. I meant trash panda. Is that better? I don't know. It's worse. It's so much worse. 
And this is a part of the podcast where we don't do a review. We won't bore you. We know you just watched the movie because this is a companion podcast. Uh, we will do our three favorite scenes. Glenn, what are your three favorite scenes um, from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Man, this movie got into some deep stuff. Uh, my first favorite scene is uh, Yondu and his magic arrow killing all of the Ravengers. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, the song that played. Every time I hear that song on the radio or if I'm streaming something and a song comes on Pandora or Amazon Music. You're my kind of man. Yeah. So big and so strong. That scene pops into my head. They could redo a music video just with Yondu walking through killing people and I would be happy about that. Um, my next favorite scene. Wow. Yondu's sacrifice. You're all about that blue. I, man, I tell you what, that right there hit me in the feels. Because, um, you know, it's like he, he's talking to Peter as they're fighting. He's like, you know, you don't have to be somebody's father to be their daddy. Yeah. And then it clicks with Peter. You know, all those times that uh, he quote-unquote saved Peter from getting eaten by the other Ravengers, it, it wasn't him saving him, it was him protecting him. Um, showing him how to hunt, show him how to uh, thieve. And it's not because he was small that he was thieving. It was Yondu was being that father that, that Quill never had. And, you know, giving that ultimate sacrifice for somebody who wasn't even his blood. That was just amazing for me to watch on the screen. And it resonated. And you get to his funeral scene and it's like Quill said, you know what, my dad was... David Hasselhoff, yeah. which, <laughs> wow, <laughs> Michael Rooker, I would not compare him to David Hasselhoff at all, he's a far better actor, oh, yeah. and I love the Hoff, um, my number one favorite scene is Gamora and Nebula's fight on Ego, those two women beat the holy hell out of each other during the scene, Yeah. and the whole time Gamora's telling her, you know, stop i don't want to do that i don't want to fight you yeah i'm just like screw it i'm gonna whoop your ass yeah all she needed was some uh dancing kung fu and i think she would have beat her <laughs> that's yep yep jumanji uh my number three favorite scene is actually that one nebula and gamora slash it out they really like they're hashing out their feelings while they're fighting cool and the concept's a groundwork for for nebula to maybe not be such a villain especially with the end of the movie she says i'm going to kill thanos um, don't even know that's possible, as Gamora said. But whatever, we'll find out. But Nebula and Gamora slashing it out. That's actually my third favorite scene. My number two favorite scene uh, was Drax the Sad Destroyer when he was thinking about his daughter in the lake and the mantis touched him. And Drax doesn't really convey emotion. Uh, so you get your first sense of emotion, except for anger. That's all he really shows. Um, that's a green thing, I guess. But uh, you get your first sense of emotion with Mantis touching him, and then yeah. she starts crying uncontrollably. Like, that's what he feels most of the time. Um, and then number one, uh, Quill, when he blasts the face off of Ego, oh. uh, when Ego says that he killed his mom, and, and Quill just snaps out of that mind control and starts blasting that motherfucker away. <laughs> and I what think everyone at the same time was like, kill him. Yeah. Kill him. Because because Ego was changed so much, it wasn't guaranteed that he killed 
uh, Star Lord's mom. Yeah. Like it was, it would have been completely fine in the story if she had just really died of natural causes, and it was sad enough that he abandoned her while she and she never went to visit her as she was dying due to that tumor. But he did the tumor. He did that. Yeah. Um. So that was my number one favorite scene. This whole movie had had something to do with uh, fathers and sons, whether it was for the good or for the bad. Well, it was all about family. Yeah. Um, and that was neat. Whether whether it was Rocket taking care of his baby tree, or whether it was uh, um, Drax dealing with his family, or he finding out how he actually feels about all that, or Nebula and Gamora, you know, taking care of their business with each other, or Gondu and Peter Quill and Ego and that weird father triangle they had going on. Um, so it's really good. You know, really good scenes. That speaks a lot to Batista. Uh, for him to know what happened to Drax's family and when you see that scene and you see a serenity and peace come across Drax's face but we get to see the emotion that he's actually feeling through Mantis. Yeah. That speaks a lot to, yeah. I mean, Batista, like him or not, dude has really come to his own when it comes to this acting thing. Well, I love him, so. It broke my heart to put that tumor in her head. What? No, no, all right. I know that sounds bad. And this is the part of the podcast where we try to weave every web together. Eventually, this 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 phrase is going to pay off when we get to Spider-Man Homecoming, I swear. <laughs> Uh, well, we connect everything in the MCU, the MCU connections section of our podcast. Um, I've got some stuff written down. Glenn, call me on whatever you may find that's different. Um, uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, Chase of Face was a warrior from a cybernetically enhanced race known as the Stark. The Stark uh, are a race that's, that found Iron Man technology. They accidentally crashed on their homeworld, and as a result, they worshipped Tony Stark as their god. Yep. They didn't get into that, but uh, it's neat that they had someone from that group. Uh, it would have been neat if he had like something that said Stark, Stark arm on it, but but maybe because Tony hasn't really gone space yet, he 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 goes right there to the atmosphere and then he drops back down. That's his that's his thing. Um, Baby Groot is actually the offspring of Groot, not the same character. James Gunn confirmed this on uh, Twitter this year, end of February. He posted, uh, quote, first Groot is dead. Baby Groot is his son, end quote. And I would have put hashtag long live Baby Groot. Um, at Yondu's funeral, his old friends and fellow Ravengers, Charlie 27, Starhawks, Martinet, and Aleta, in the Marvel comics, all four and Yondu were former members of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and also appearing were Krugar, an alien sorcerer, who in the comics was from another timeline and was the disciple of Doctor Strange. Yep. And also there's Mainframe, an alien female robot who, in the comics, was a male and an android related to the Vision. Yep. So a little bit change there, but that's cool. That's all cool. I'm um, glad they didn't give her credit for that role, though. Yeah, but she'll, she'll probably continue to be mainframe for real. <laughs> well, um, I'm fine with that. Just don't credit her. James Gunn wanted to feature the cosmic entity and guardian member Adam Warlock in this film, but decided to keep him for volume three. Smart choice. Don't Spider-Man 3 this bitch. Uh, as he felt this film already had too many characters. Adam is anticipated... In our end credit section, we'll get to that. Also in the end credit section, um, uh, we'll talk about Stan Lee and his cameo because that's a tie to the MCU. Big, Big. tie to the MCU. Um, 
while traveling uh, through the space hops. One of the planets the ship travels past um, appears to be the Cronin homeworld. And this is home to Korg, the rock creature we will see in Thor Ragnarok. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we already saw one Crononite or Cronin or whatever you say uh, get beat up by Thor in Thor. Dark World. Yeah. Uh, so that's neat. Um, anything else in connection to the MCU that you caught that I didn't catch? Uh, no, that's pretty much. I mean, you got the tie to with Howard. Um, Howard the Duck. He makes uh, another cameo. We'll, uh, you know, uh, when we get to that section, Cosmo is in the makes an appearance again in this movie. Does he? I didn't mark that down. Yeah, he's in Stanley's shots. He's sitting next to him on the ground. Oh, oh, Cosmo's with Stanley. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. I he, he, look, he looks at the dog and says, how am I supposed to get home? <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot to write that down. Um, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, you got the tie to Earth with the, the, the early scene. Um, yeah. Like you, I, I did uh, have something written about Taserface. I would have liked to have seen you know, part of a Stark logo. I think in the comic they added two A's. To, to their species or whatever they want to call it, the planet star arc, uh, just to differentiate a little bit. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I think I remember seeing that. Um, but yeah, that was that was deep pulls for Gunn. I mean, he yeah. did a really good job with this movie. Which this section also includes that Stanley post credit stuff. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Stanley's cameo had him discussing his previous adventures uh, that included his cameos in other Marvel films. You could take it that he was in all Marvel films, not just the MCU ones. And according to Kevin Feige, this is a nod to the popular theory that Lee is a cosmic entity in Marvel. He said, quote, Stanley clearly exists, you know, above and apart from the reality of all the films. So the notion that he could be sitting there on a cosmic pit stop during the jump gate sequence in Guardians was something very fun. It says, wait a minute, he's the same character who's popped up in all these films? End quote. That's right. Uh, James Gunn, until it is retconned, has made it canon that Stan Lee's characters in all these movies is the same guy. He is a watcher watching over the MCU. Yep. And uh, who knows if he has clones or twins or people that look just like him that are in the other Marvel universes, but he is here. Which is, is kind of, a lot of fans have uh, have come to the conclusion that Stan Lee is Uatu. That's not been confirmed or denied. Um, I think a lot of people pick Uatu because he was an outcast. He was kicked out of the Watchers. He comes to Earth and he helps the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, a couple other teams. Uh, if you think about it, the Watchers are kind of like uh, the Starfleet. They're not; they're there to observe, but they're not supposed to get involved. And if they get involved, bad things happen. So Owatu's like Captain Kirk, and he screws things up a lot and has to fix it. Um, it'd be interesting if he was. I would rather him not be a Watu, uh, only because yeah. we keep hearing every few months the d decline of his health. Yeah. And I would rather them wait and introduce Iwatu as the watcher that replaces him after he is killed. Yeah. So, or passes. Like, he's been around for eons. It's finally his time to pass. I've been training under him. I've watched you as well. And I'm here to be your new watcher. And the fact that he introduces himself kind of is the first screw-up he does. Or something like that. That'd be neat. Um, it would be cool. Uh, but I love that Stanley is a watcher yeah. in these movies. And it's like, well, that's, that's really great. And I'm really glad that he's already got a few cameos in there. I really just hope that they have uh, something ready for when he actually does pass. Yeah. I, and sadly, 
Um, it's going to be sooner than later. Um, I think the loss of his wife has really taken a toll on him. And Yeah, and the drama with his daughter, if you haven't read that recently. Yeah. Um, she keeps trying to take all of his assets yeah. because she spends up to $40,000 a month. What a waste. She's yeah. worse than Elvis's daughter. Um, but moving on from the Stan Lee cameo to the rest of the post credit stuff. Uh, we had a scene where Craglin uh, was wearing Yondu's fin, and he was trying to control the arrow, I believe. Yep. Was he wearing the fin? Yeah, he was wearing the okay. fin. Okay. And uh, is like, is he going to be the newest guardian? I don't know. He'll probably get himself killed. <laughs> um, you saw a scene where um, Sly, or Dakar O'Gord, reunites with his old crew and Miley. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is Aletta O'Gord. Um, she was from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm. Um, uh, Ving Rames is Charlie 27. Mm. Martin A is, isn't he the Iceman? Yeah, he's the, he, he's Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum, yeah. Yep. Uh, Krugar is, I don't know, it looks like it's just CG at the moment, but he, he is. is blatantly a Doctor Strange character, but yeah. they could throw any actor in there they wanted to. It's just CG. And Miley is mainframe, which I'm all for because it's like, that's so random, I love it. It's literally so random that I love it. James Gunn picked her because he liked the way her voice sounded on the show, The Voice. And it sounded kind of, you know, peppy but yet robotic. And that's why he went with it. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum actually... uh, He auditioned for for Quill. uh, Quill, yeah, once upon a time. I'm so glad he didn't get it. Uh, Me too. Um, I'll be glad with him being like a a CG voice or whatever. He was awesome as Iceman. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I love. I mean, I love Molly's voice too. When she actually tries to sing and she's not being weird as shit, she's actually a great singer. Um, but I loved her voice on the, uh, on the voice because I watched that too. Um, uh, there's another scene where Aisha creates Adam, the oh. boy of gold, gold member, whatever nickname you want to give him. And as he just did the gold dust. <laughs> um, so yeah, Aisha creates Adam because she is a god apparently. And Adam did a lot of in the comics. He was uh, he debuted in the Fantastic Four back in '67. Yeah. Um, he was born out of a cocoon. So hey, fanboys, you know you got that little tease in the first Guardians movie. Gunn said, "Hold up, it's just there for eye candy. It's not what you think it is." Now we get to see Adam's actual cocoon, and it makes sense because he's gold. Yeah. And if you think about it, and I got to thinking about this last night, um, in the Superman Four Quest for Peace, there was a quote-unquote superhuman that Lex created and he was gold. In my mind, that's what I have always pictured Adam. Which is terrible for me to think because I just put a DC movie bad, terrible supervillain. Especially Superman 4. Yeah, I know. That movie was so awful. Uh. But uh, he was a, he did a lot with the Fantastic Four and what's cool about him is it's not, you know, you know, I don't know if a lot of other people know this, but Adam Warlock was actually in possession of the Soul Stone yeah. in the comics. Yeah. Which is interesting. Warlock was a big factor in defeating Thanos in that. In yes, the Infinity he was. Stuff. Um, uh, also, another uh, post credit scene we got was Teenage Groot and his god dang bitchy games. <laughs> Peter Quill taking the role of Hank Hill and Teenage Groot taking the <laughs> role of Bobby Hill and his fucking troll dolls. Uh, which is funny because Peter Quill has a troll doll on his ship. <laughs> Um, and that was neat. Of course, we're gonna get teenage group, uh, uh on a, yeah, on a, in, in Infinity War. So this is a scene that, like I said, this movie takes place 
primarily through Phase 2, but at the end of every Marvel movie, it puts it exactly in line where it needs to be, and this is no different. This puts it exactly in line where it needs to be, and uh, that is, that, that's great. Because even Doctor Strange takes place before Civil War, even though it comes out after, but at the end of Doctor Strange, when you get that clip with him and Thor, that is taking place during Civil War, uh, or possibly just a little bit after. You know, you can't really really split hairs on that one because we don't have a timeline. But uh, that puts it exactly where it needs to be when it comes out. Uh, same thing with this one. Uh, and then, of course, the final post-credit scene, Stan Lee bores the Watchers. Too many movies. Especially if he's counting all the non-MCU ones. Oh, just to hear the ending conversation and the Watchers kind of, okay, screw this guy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go back inside. Uh, into our moon house. Wherever the hell they were going. They literally just walked out into the emptiness of space. Like, this is better. This is better than hearing him. Maybe Stanley is a Watsu. They fucking hate him. <laughs> Alright. First you flick this switch, then this switch. That activates it. Then you push this button, which will give you five minutes to get out of there. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button. Because that will set off the bomb immediately, and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm good. That's right. I'm good. No! no! That's the button that will kill everyone! And finally, we're at the end of the podcast. The last section that you want to hear the whole time anyway, but you've waited through our stupid voices this whole time, and we're here. We're going to rank Guardians of the Galaxy amongst the 17 movies that came out because Black Panther waited too long. Uh, the 17 uh, Marvel movies that we get to rank, uh, we're going to rank Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Glenn, where would you rank this movie amongst the 17 Marvel movies that we ranked? This is my number five. Really, that is super awesome. That's high, but high praise, and it deserves it. This movie was so good. I loved it. Like I said, it, the the dynamic between father and son, and the whole family storylines mm -hmm. that wove through this uh, this movie was just it, it meant a lot. And I yeah. I just and the acting and even the oh, yeah. the hoaginess of the original team coming back, but the way they respected Yondu at the end of the film. I mean, yeah. it was just. I loved it. So, yeah, it's my number five. Uh, if you remember, I ranked the original Gardens of Galaxy at number 11 out of 17 on my list. Not a very popular opinion. Thanks, guys. Uh, but uh, Gardens of Galaxy Volume 2, I ranked number four. I ranked it above Glenn. I'm better than Glenn. I'm better. Uh, you can't hate me this time. Um, but, yeah, this 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 one. Uh uh, this one was so good. The family dynamic, the story got better, the writing got better, the music got better. Oh. Everything about this, the effects were way better, the fight scenes, the, everything was badass to the nth degree. And I always think that origin stories are a little bit easier to tell. Like, if you can crack the, the origin story kind of formula, then you're golden. But making a sequel to an origin story and making it better is very hard to do. And in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the uh, only time I've watched an, an original uh, or watched a sequel and enjoyed it better than the first one was with Captain America and Thor. 
and I was almost guaranteed to like more of those characters because I was always big into Norse mythology way before I ever got into comic book stuff and didn't even know Thor was a comic book character until I was like 18 or 19. I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, and then Captain America Winter Soldier just because that's my number one Marvel movie, period. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, beating out number one by many, many spots. Loved it. Such a good job. Thank you, James Gunn for doing these movies because they're such a nice change of pace and they've influenced the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the better. Um, but that's our rankings. Glenn gave it a 5. I gave it a 4 because I'm better. Uh, <laughs> ranking it 4 out of 17. Thank you for listening. Um, if you want to listen to more of a podcast, we do wrestling reviews of, of uh, pay-per-views. We also do uh, movie reviews, just chilling with Netflix. That's the name of the podcast. Um, and then we do gaming stuff. We also have a YouTube.com slash Take the Studios uh, channel for uh, video game tournaments and videos for charity. Uh, you can find us on social media collectively at Take the Studios. Individually, you can find me at SYCO1316. I am at JokerHaHaHa79. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Be sure to subscribe. Comment on it wherever you can, whatever you're listening on. Stitcher, Cast a Film, um... Tune in, whatever. Uh, just be sure to hang out with us. Next week we've got three, three podcasts, and then the whole week for Infinity War, I'll, I'll, I'll give you your piece, and you can just sit there and just, just foam at the mouth, just waiting, like, oh man, who's gonna die? Because you're a psychopath. Because you're psychopaths. Thank you guys for listening. Don't kill me. I'm better than Glenn. I'm Bye. already popping, y'all. <laughs> I'm better than Glenn. Listen to the wind blow, watch the sun rise. Run in the shadows, damn the dark, damn your life. And if you don't love me now, you will never love me again. I can't stay. Yeah!